We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Today, we're previewing the White Sox season along with the AL Central with Josh Nelson, host of the Sox Machine podcast. He's a friend of the program. You may have heard him before. If you remember back in 2021, we did that crossover episode right before the Field of Dreams game, which ended up turning out to be an amazing game, despite the fact that the White Sox beat the Yankees. Uh, Very exciting finish. Um, That was a really cool event. But Josh, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm sure just like you guys, opening day has uh, felt like it snuck up on us with the World Baseball Classic being so exciting uh, and kind of covering up what has been kind of a lackluster spring training for a lot of Major League Baseball. And now everyone starts on Thursday. So uh, it's 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 quite the ramp up for us over at Sox Machine as the White Sox will start the season in Houston. And obviously there's a lot of exciting news that's coming out of camp for the New York Yankees and it'd be interesting to see if uh, who is going to be the starting shortstop for the New York Yankees. So it's just been a whirlwind the last couple of days, Andrew. As long as it's not IKF, every Yankees fan will be okay with that. Yeah, doesn't it? Doesn't it almost feel like there should be one more week of spring training before opening day? It does. And obviously, I'm not complaining that opening day is next week, but but it is it is right here already it's it's opening day the guys will get back from the world baseball classic and they'll they'll be able to you know get one throwing session in before they've got to fly up to wherever they're going for the games yeah and you know, for the White Sox, they had a lot of players that were involved in the World Baseball Classic. Tim Anderson, Lance Lynn, and Kendall Graven for Team USA. Luis Robert, Yoan Makata for Team Cuba. Jose Ruiz pitched really well for Team Venezuela. I think in total, the White Sox had eight players. Uh, so while they're in the World Baseball Classic, 
and you have a new manager in Pedro Grafal, that was like one of the storylines during spring training for the White Sox is with the new manager and trying to rebuild the culture after what's happened post Tony La Russa days with the White Sox. How is that going to work with so many of the core guys away from White Sox spring training? We're going to find out in that opening weekend in Houston how everyone is handling each other. I do want to talk about that that culture issue um, with Larusa and everything. Feels like that that's been a storyline around the White Sox, and they obviously had a disappointing season last year. In, in your opinion, you know, is just changing the manager going to fix that, or do they have to start winning again? Because the cliche always is winning breeds good culture. I think they're going to have to start winning again. Uh, Pedro Grafal, even though he's a rookie manager, he's been part of the Kansas City Royals organization for a decade. Uh, he's also part of the Seattle Mariners front office, uh, helping out with player development. So he has a lot of experience in baseball ops. So even though people will continue to say that he's a rookie manager, this is not his first rodeo. And he's helped teams prepare for games. Uh, and he's also helped teams unwind after games and do some root cause analysis. So Grafal has a lot of experience, but for this particular White Sox squad, they're going to be walking in 2023 with a chip on their shoulder just because of how poorly they played in 2022 and underachieved. They want to prove to everyone in Major League Baseball that they're still one of the teams that you should fear in the American League. But the this championship window that they built post-rebuild that they started after trading Chris Sale during the 2016 winter meetings was supposed to extend to 2023 and hopefully a little bit beyond in 2024 and 2025. But as you look at the current roster, Lucas Giolito and Yasmani Grandal are free agents after this year. They could buy out of the contracts of Liam Hendricks and Lance Lynn. Tim Anderson is a free agent after the 2024 season. It really feels like 2023 could be the last dance for the Chicago White Sox with this current roster core. And if it doesn't work this year, there's a lot of questions what's going to happen in the near future. And this is all, again, coming full circle, coming on the shoulders of a rookie manager in Pedro Grafal. So if the attitude is going to change, if the clubhouse culture is going to change, they're going to have to start hot, I believe, in 2023, have a good weekend in Houston, win the opening series at home against the San Francisco Giants, go to Pittsburgh and Minnesota, have a winning home stand, a road stand there, and then come back home to face the Baltimore Orioles again. If they could have a winning April, I think it would go a long way, Andrew, for the White Sox to building a successful 2023 season. If they stub their toe and trip over themselves like they did last April where they started 8-12, and 12, then this team can unwind real quick. It's, I mean, it's some baseball fans will hear you say that and say you can't win or lose the division in April. But I, I agree, you can't win the division in April. But mm-hmm. I've seen teams lose lose their season in April, and I think that's what you're kind of saying there. But it's interesting that you say this might be the close of their window to win with this core of players because they just signed Andrew Benintendi to the largest contract in team history, which blew my mind when I saw that was the largest contract in team history. Like it's no slouch of a contract, five for. 75 million is a nice size contract, but like to be the largest in team history was definitely surprising. But they also let Jose Abreu go. Mm-hmm. And and so like those two things don't add up for me. You you make a commitment to Benintendi, who's a nice player, but but does he warrant the largest commitment in team history? I don't I don't think so. As as a non-White Sox fan, I don't think so. <laughs> um but then you let 
Abreu go, who I know Abreu's older at this point, but he could still hit. He's still mm-hmm. a key piece to that lineup. Like that lineup is less scary now without uh, Jose Abreu. Um, so those two things don't add, don't add up in my mind. So the idea for the White Sox thinking is that by letting Jose Abreu walk, because they were not going to meet what the Astros paid Jose Abreu, which is three years, 58 and a half million technically, but he's going to be making $60 million from the Houston Astros over the next three years, is that by letting Abreu go, they can move Andrew Vaughn, in which they used a third overall pick in the 2019 Major League Baseball draft on to move him out of the outfield and back to his natural position at first base. And there's a lot of excuses that the White Sox have built in for Andrew Vaughn and why offensively it has been rather pedestrian for who was thought of as one of the best college hitters of all time coming out of Cal in that, yeah, he led the White Sox in home runs last year with 17. Like, that's more of a damnation on the White Sox hitting as a team than it speaks to Andrew Vaughn's offensive prowess. So moving him out of the outfield to first base, the White Sox are hoping will keep his legs fresh, his back fresh, and that he will go to become the hitter that they hoped for when they drafted him third overall. As we speak now, he has missed the past week of spring training because of back soreness. So we're not off to a good start with this strategy. But with moving Vaughn out of left field, who was defensively the worst outfielder in Major League Baseball, and moving him back to first base, the White Sox are hoping that by signing Andrew Benatendi provides another left-handed bat, which they sorely need in the lineup because they really struggled against right-handed pitching the last couple of years. And Benatendi can hold his own in left field. Say what you want about he's a, Gold he's Glove. Fantastic. He's a fantastic outfielder. We What we have seen from a White Sox point of view when he was with the Royals, we have seen some really bad throws from Ben Attendi at Guarantee Rayfield. Okay. I, I think that's, that's where there is some hesitation. But as far as his ability to cover ground in left field with the range and as long as he doesn't throw worm burners uh, when he's trying to make a throw to home plate, then, yeah, Andrew Benatendi is going to be a huge defensive upgrade for the White Sox. So for Benatendi, I really like the signing, but you are right, Andrew. It is a bit comical to say that Andrew Benatendi, at five years, $75 million, is the largest free agent contract that Jerry Reinsdorf, Chicago White Sox, have ever signed in franchise history. Because as a Yankees fan, and I understand I'm spoiled in the contract front because the Yankees have... have <laughs> spent so much money in my lifetime but 75 million dollars is like they don't even think about that signing that's like oh that's a write-off it's like they they wasted 153 million dollars on jacoby ellsbury okay so that's two that's two andrew benintendi contracts just flushed down the toilet for an outfielder yeah and from what i understand uh jerry had to be convinced uh to approve as far as that contract And that's kind of the frustration, too, with White Sox fans in this championship core and where things are rolling into 2023. There are currently billboards in the Bridgeport neighborhood where the White Sox reside that is advocating for Jerry Reinsdorf to sell the White Sox. And this isn't the first time there's been a lot of outcry regarding what's going on with the Chicago Bulls. Chicago is not a fan of Jerry Reinsdorf. And while he thinks that this is a type of investment to help booster the relationship between White Sox fans uh, and the front office of the Chicago White Sox, while they think it's a lot, in the grand scheme of things, it's not. 
Because what really gets under White Sox fan skin is seeing what is going on in San Diego. Because both of these teams started these rebuilds at a similar time. And how in the world are the Padres offering $300 million contracts? And White Sox fans are over here. They have to be happy because they signed Andrew Benatendi to $75 million. That doesn't scan. So that's that's kind of where a lot of the frustration lies right now between the fans and the organization heading to opening day. Yeah, because if you look at the Padres, like they're not in as good of a baseball market, not even close as Chicago is, even though Chicago has the two teams. Mm-hmm. And how how many games do you go to a year, just out, out of curiosity? We are a full season ticket holder, so wow. it's approximately like 60 games. You go, you go to 60 games a year? Yeah, we live in the wow. neighborhood, so I can okay. I can walk to the stadium. It takes me twenty minutes to walk from my house to our seats inside the stadium. I, I asked because you know so many teams recently, and the Yankees have done this as well. They've catered the ballpark experience to younger fans. They're doing more of these, like you know, these uh, the Yankees have these Budweiser deck, you know, things mm-hmm. where they just basically have removed whole sections of seats that used to be one hundred fifty seats is now just a Budweiser deck, and you just you just stand there and you can, you know, interact and whatever it is. So like that's been the vibe at Yankee Stadium. And I know a lot around the league. Has that also been the vibe at White Sox games? Like is Reinsdorf doing those things to engage the fan base? I understand they're not, he's not spending the money on the players and that's also going to piss people off. Ultimately, it's going to piss people off the most. But, you know, I'm trying to get at like what is his level of commitment to the organization as far as strengthening the fan base? That's a great question because when Jerry Reinsdorf threatened to move the team to Florida in the late 80s and early 90s, the sweetheart deal that they have between the state of Illinois, the city of Chicago, and the White Sox is that there are any stadium upgrades, the fine taxpayers, the state of Illinois pay for those upgrades, not the Chicago White Sox. Just so happens to be that the White Sox have built two new bars in the 500 level to remove some of those seats that they have a hard time selling, to your point, like Yankee Stadium, uh, not on the grand scheme of being able to hold like 150 people at these bars. But yeah, they're starting to do the same thing as well, try to build out more standing room areas within the stadium because people like to get up and, and move. We'll see on how frequent that's going to be with the pitch clock if we're going to see a great reduction in time of games. Um, but the... The level of investment from Jerry Reinsdorf's point of view, the last two years we have seen payroll for the White Sox at a level we've never seen before. And that is where it's a bit of a surprise. They don't spend a lot of money on premium players. They just spend a lot of money covering many of their positions. And, you know, in 2018, 2019, Andrew, they locked up a lot of the core that they have. Tim Anderson, Yoan Makata, Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, the problem is, is that now you're getting to the expensive years of those contracts, and that's why the payroll has been at levels that we've never seen before, well above $180 million for the Chicago White Sox. And now, as we record this, a day after Forbes published their findings, the White Sox joined the Padres and Mets in the bottom three of teams that have lost money from last year. So they're spending at a level that they are not fully recouping according to their books, revenue-wise, whatever investments they make into the stadium, taxpayers pay for. So again, it draws back to this question of who and where is Jerry Reinsdorf's allegiance right now. I think Reinsdorf would love to win one more World Series, 
but the White Sox are in this position, kind of like the Baltimore Orioles and the Washington Nationals and maybe the Angels if they change their mind, in which they could be another team that is open for selling as Jerry Reinsdorf is 87 years old. And from a White Sox fan perspective, that would be very welcome news as this organization needs a breath of fresh air and who's running it. It's funny you say they've lost money according to their books because I remember when the owners and the players were arguing, trying to get back on the field after COVID, the players union was like, open up your books. Let's let's right. see how much money you're losing. They're like, nah, just trust us. We're losing a lot of money. It's like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, that's guys. why I don't buy it. Like it's just fact reporting. Like Forbes says the White Sox yeah. lost 50 some million dollars. No one buys that. Yeah. <laughs> no one buys that. I know. <laughs> so um how much how much stock do you put into like preseason projections like like zips projections for example mm-hmm. I think it's very helpful with the zips projections because we have been tracking this over at Sox machine the White Sox have a very difficult time exceeding Zips projections. Hmm. Sure, there are five or six players that we would say crush the Zips projections, which they surpass the 50 percentile projection that we see on fangraphs.com. We chat with Dan Zaborski, who runs Zips, and we learned that, yeah, this is in the 80th, 90th percentile of outcomes for Zips for the upcoming year. However, as you know, Andrew, there are 26-man rosters in Major League Baseball which means that the large chunk of the organization either just meets or fails to meet their expectations and their projections. Uh, The White Sox, I think, exceeded projections greatly in 2021, and obviously they failed miserably to even cover their projections in 2022. So I can understand where there's some hesitancy right now in trusting the projections coming into the season. But that is the White Sox fault. Their inability to stay healthy, underachieving in 2022, it's not a surprise that the projection system see the White Sox when they do a thousand simulations of the season, right. that they fail to reach 500, that they are a below 500 team right now if we sim the season a thousand times. Uh, OOTP just simmed as far as their season. They got the White Sox at 79 wins. Thankfully, MLB The Show has the White Sox winning the American League Central, but there's no projection system on planet Earth right now, Andrew, that thinks this is a 90-plus win team. And I buy that when you look at this roster and the lack of depth that the White Sox have. So again, coming full circle, going into this 2023 season, this is what the championship core this is what the championship contention window is supposed to be. A team that we're fingers crossed, hoping stays healthy and wins 87, 88 games and sneaks into the playoffs as the American League Central Division winner. Like that doesn't meet the expectations when the White Sox set out for this rebuild. So I, I think with the projection systems right now, I tend to trust them because again, the White Sox have a hard time exceeding those projections. Yeah, I, I we always look at zips every year too, and a, a lot of times I find that they're conservative on the top end because there's very few teams projected to win 96 games or anything like that. And you know, right. there's going to be teams that win 96 or 100 games, or I mean, the Dodgers, whatever they won, 110 games last year. There's going to be teams that do that, and and zips is always going to, you know, it's like you said, it's it's a simulation thousands of times, so it's always going to be you know, fall in the middle somewhere. But I just looked this morning and the it's got the White Sox at 74 wins. And I I, I mean, to, to me, that's jarring, right? Like I mm-hmm. figured it would, 
I assumed it was going to be around 82, 83 wins. Just that was my hunch going in. And so to see mid 70s was definitely a shock. And the reason behind that is that Zips just doesn't believe Tim Anderson, Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez are going to stay healthy. Like Zips is thinking those three are going to play 110 or below games. And if that holds true, then yeah, yeah, the White Sox are going to finish below 500 because they just don't have the depth to overcome those types of losses of injuries. We saw last year when Anderson missed a huge chunk of games and Eloy Jimenez missed a chunk of games and Luis Robert for a couple of weeks was swinging with one hand because the White Sox were being really weird with the way that they're handling injury. So I could buy that from a Zips perspective. If the computer model says, I can't trust this team to stay healthy, it's hard to argue against that. Yeah. What do you, tell me about Lucas Giolito because he's he's kind of been fascinating. He was, he, he obviously was top rated prospect and then he was living up to the hype and, and then he fell off a cliff and I know he's doing some mechanical changes to his wind up and to his arm slot specifically. So uh, what's going on with Giolito? Giolito from 2019 to 2021 was a six foot six, 245 pound pitcher. In 2022, he beefed up to 280 pounds. And he thought that by adding that type of weight, adding more muscle will allow him to throw at a velocity he's never reached. Wrong. It made him way more tired. It threw off his mechanics. He struggled with fastball velocity all season, where at times he was 91 and 92, and that is just not going to play in the major leagues, and it definitely doesn't play up with his overall stuff because he still has one of the best change-ups in baseball. But in my opinion, he has a below-average slider. So when you got below-average fastball velocity and you got a below-average slider, that's not going to help you and it's not going to help the White Sox win a lot of games. And that's why his ERA was close to five. He comes into spring training. He lost all that weight that he gained from last year. He's hitting 93, 94 consistently during spring training. So he's regained some of that lost velocity and he's in a contract year. You know, Andrew, everybody oh, yeah. knows players perform at a way different level in their contract year. We just saw this with Aaron Judge. He blasted 62 home runs. And of course, he's going to get 300 plus million dollars from the Steinbrenner family. When you do that, I'm expecting a very big year for Lucas Giolito. And going back to his 2019 to 2021 form, he's a smart dude. And even though he didn't go to college, uh, his mom was an actor. His father ran EA Sports for a long time. He understands how the contract negotiations work. He is the Chicago White Sox player representative for the organization. He knows his worth. If he goes back and he performs to the level that he did from 2019 to 2021, we are talking about a pitcher that should marry a five-year, hundred-plus million-dollar contract in free agency because we've seen just how much money starting pitchers make. The Chicago White Sox, as we just talked about, do not sign players for that type of money. So this really does feel like, even though White Sox fans are excited to see Lucas Giolito bounce back, I think everyone has resigned to the fact this is it. This is the last season we're going to see Lucas Giolito in a White Sox uniform. And as I mentioned at the beginning, if the White Sox have a poor April and they're below 500 at the All-Star break, I think, Andrew, you're going to hear a lot of Lucas Giolito talk when it comes to being traded before the deadline, if the White Sox are out of contention. Will they do that? 
I think they have no choice but to do that because you don't get a whole lot with the qualifying offer. He's not going to accept it. So the best that you're going to do is a second round pick, a late second round pick. You you can't grab a couple better prospects, especially if teams are so hungry for starting pitching. That's the one type of player at the trade deadline that teams, I think, overpay for when it comes to prospect return. It is starting pitching, even though Giolito would be a free agent after the year. So if they're five, 10 games below 500 and they're rolling up to the trade deadline, I, I have to think Rick Hahn does that. However, it should have been a slam dunk for the White Sox to make the qualifying offer to Carlos Rodon, and they did not do that, much to Scott Boris's liking, and that really worked out for Carlos Rodon. So we'll see. I, I think logically it would make the most sense if the White Sox are out of contention to move Giolito by August. I want to talk about Rodon in a second, but look at what the Mariners gave up for Castillo last year right. at the deadline. And Castillo is a better pitcher than than Giolito, but it's it's timing, right? If you're the top starting pitcher on the market in that given year, you're going to get the biggest haul. And so it it's they got I think three of the top 5 prospects out of the out of the Mariners system for that. So that's that's the kind of return you're looking at. You can't say no to that, but you know, you, you complain about ownership and everything and their decisions if they don't want to have to deal with the public backlash of potentially trading the team's number one pitcher, sort of holding on to that hope that we're still going to contend, even if it's not very realistic. You're just shooting yourself in the foot. Right. And if the White Sox are in that position late July, everyone in Chicago will be paying more attention to Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears training camp <laughs> than what is happening on the baseball diamonds in Chicago. Mm-hmm. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, Radon, I mean, he's he's another guy, like $162 million for for an injury-prone pitcher, and guess what? He's injured in spring training already. Right. I the Yankees had to make the signing. That's the position they were in because their pitching depth, they needed it for their pitching depth. Um, but like, yeah, if if the if the White Sox have not spent more than $75 million on on the free agent market and Giolito has a good season, he's gonna be looking at 150 plus million dollars on the free agent market. Like it, there's there's no chance they come close to signing him. No. And there's teams that are starving for starting pitching. I mean, he can go back home to LA like I think the Dodgers would be interested in Giolito. The Angels could be interested in Giolito. Like, so many teams would be interested in Lucas Giolito if he returns to his previous form where he was a top 10 AL Cy Young finisher. If he does that, 
Lucas Giglio is going to make a lot of money in the offseason. There were some brief rumors that the White Sox might be a trade partner for Glaber Torres this winter because I know they had a hole at second base. Uh, were you excited about the prospect of trading for Glaber? How seriously was that being talked about in Chicago? I think on a serious level, it was hard to determine just how serious the White Sox appetite was to be making that type of deal with the New York Yankees because the Yankees, I assume at this moment, still think as Glaber Torres as one of their starting position players. So that's kind of a hard deal to make. And as we saw in this past offseason, we didn't see a lot of top prospects for starting players. We saw a lot of major league talent for major league talent. The White Sox didn't have a lot of major league talent on hand. Their best major league trade asset was Liam Hendricks. And unfortunately, he's battling cancer right now. Uh, so that's something that the White Sox, that's another thing they have to deal with as well. But the idea behind Torres is that at second base, it is a black hole for the Chicago White Sox. And it was until the start of spring training when they decided to bring back Elvis Andrews. And Andrews, for the first time in his career, is going to be moving off a shortstop and over to second base. Romy Gonzalez, Lurie Garcia, Lenin Sosa, those were the guys for a long time we were thinking were going to be battling over spring training for the second base position. Man, those three guys did not look good at spring training. So I think there's a huge sigh of relief that Elvis Andrews has returned to the White Sox to help solidify that second base position. But it's still going to be a question going to 2024, Andrew. And that's why there was the idea about Glaber Torres. Torres could help the White Sox the next couple of years, yeah. help solidify second base. Obviously, that didn't come to fruition, but I like the idea. I just don't know how realistic the White Sox were close in executing that type of deal. It's a weird deal to make because we do a, a a GM episode every year where we just sort of act as GM and try and come up with trades. And that was one of the things I was tinkering with is like, how do I logically trade with the White Sox with Glaber Torres, right? And I just couldn't figure out what the package would be. I think Glaber Torres is the most tradable asset on the Yankees roster right now. That doesn't mean he's the most desired player, but he's the most likely to be traded considering his value, right? It's like everyone's talking about get rid of Josh Donaldson. Yeah, sure. If a team's going to take Josh Donaldson's money, absolutely get rid of him. But that's not going to happen. Right. A team would actually trade for Glaber Torres because there's that chance he's an all-star second baseman again. And he's making nine million bucks in, in arbitration this year and whatever, 13 million bucks next year. Like that's a very reasonable price. And the Yankees have DJ LeMahieu. They've got these, these, uh, these two prospects in Volpe and Peraza who are middle infielders, right? So it, IKF is a utility player. So they have depth in the middle infield and Glaber Torres. I'm at the point where I'm not thinking he's going to be the 130 OPS plus guy he was in 2018, 2019. I don't know if that was juice baseball. I don't know if I don't know what was going on, right? He's just not right. that player anymore. He went through a stretch last summer, like after the all-star break through like early September. He he had like a 500 OPS. <laughs> it's just like a, a complete zero in the lineup for 200 plate appearances. It's like, I'm sorry, that's not that's not valuable. The, that, that player does not warrant an everyday starting job. So if he gets off to a good start, great. They're going to ride that hot hand, but he by no means is the everyday starting second baseman on the Yankees. And so like, how do you trade that player, right? Like every team knows that. So they're not going to give you their top prospect for Glaber Torres at this point. They're not going to give you pitching depth for Glaber Torres. You're looking at picking from middle of the road prospects out of an organization. Right. And then what's the point of trading them? 
That's sort yeah, of the, it, that's the life cycle of the trade Glaber Torres I went through this offseason. Yeah, it's it's tough. And the White Sox don't have they have one of the worst farm systems in baseball. They just don't have a lot of minor league talent that they want to move. Sure, I, I like Colson Montgomery, but the White Sox are gonna hold on to Colson Montgomery. Oscar Colas is gonna be the starting right fielder. They're not gonna trade him for a second baseman. Uh and Brian Ramos is starting to pick up a lot of steam uh from evaluators' eyes, and the White Sox have no interest in trading Brian Ramos. So even though logically it would make sense for that type of trade to happen between the White Sox and Yankees, they're unfortunately not a good trade partner because the White Sox just don't have the attractive assets that the Yankees want, and the White Sox don't want to meet whatever price the Yankees are asking for when it comes to Torres. Right, which is why I don't don't know who's going to be the trade partner for him if there is going to be one. We'll see. All right, let's talk about the rest of the division for a little bit because, you know, obviously there's there's a chance the White Sox win win the division. And mm-hmm. um, but in my mind, clearly the Guardians are still the top team there. Uh, I just think their pitching depth is unmatched, and and that's they won whatever how many games did they win last year? Ninety two last 92 year. Ninety two games last year. It's just that that such a complete pitching staff. The Yankees went up against them in the ALDS, took them to five games, and. Everybody, every starter, everyone that came out of the bullpen is just like hard to hit. So I, I still see Cleveland as the top team in the division. I agree. They are the ones that everyone is chasing. And to add into the starting pitching, I really like their infield. Signing Josh Bell to their infield and sharing time at first base with Josh Naylor and Andres Jimenez is one of the best second basemen in Major League Baseball. And then Ahmed Rosario has done wonders for the Guardians at shortstop. There's been some talk that the Guardians are interested in trading Rosario and move him off of the shortstop position because they think Andres Jimenez can move over from second to shortstop and be just as good. And the other thing, too, with the Guardians is that they have one of the top farm systems in baseball, and they're managed by Terry Francona. They have depth. They have a great infield. They've got great pitching. they got a great bullpen. They should be the favorites to win the American League Central. The question when it comes to the Guardians is their outfield is not good. I don't care any way that you want to cut it up. It is not a good outfield unit, and that has been a weakness for the Guardians. And if they take a step back offensively, and this lineup is just Jose Ramirez again, and maybe hot and cold Josh Bell and Andres Jimenez, that is not enough offense to help support the pitching. They face those types of problems in the past. So the Guardians stumble is because they're not scoring enough runs and the offense is inconsistent. But Terry Francona did a masterful job last year in convincing those young players, because they had one of the youngest rosters in Major League Baseball, to buy into a certain way of playing the game. They did so, and they benefited greatly. They won a playoff series. As you mentioned, they took the Yankees to the brink in the ALDS. This is one of the sneaky teams in the American League. If you sleep on the Guardians for the teams outside of the Central in the East and the West, you can get burned in the playoffs again by the Guardians. So this is a team that I'm thinking, not necessarily a World Series contender, but it wouldn't surprise me, Andrew, if Terry Francona pulls off his magic tricks again and he gets the Guardians back to the ALCS. You're not like me and you didn't, you don't hate seeing Stephen Kwan come to the plate because you know he's just never going to swing and miss and it's going to be like an 11 pitch at bat. 
Yeah, it, it definitely understand that frustration, uh, especially when Dylan Cease is facing Stephen Kwan, because that first at bat of the game, you're hoping Cease goes deep and it's 10 pitches in and Kwan is still hitting. So definitely understand he is, he's really good at what he does. And it's yeah. been a surprise on how well he's performed for Cleveland. But will that carry over to 2023? I think there's a lot of questions if Kwan can continue to play at that high of a level. I mean, even if you just look back last year, I think on September 1st, the Twins were tied for the division lead mm-hmm. or in first place or, or something like that. And then they obviously fell off completely and the Guardians stole the division that way. But you're right. Like their offense is, is, is really thin. And so that could, that could just be tough for them to compete for, you know, season long. But I still think their pitching will carry them. And then the Twins, on the other hand, I, the Twins are one of these teams that's always, someone always picks them. In, in in the in you know spring trainings like watch out for the twins this year they're gonna yeah. be they're gonna be the team and then they win 83 games and you're like well i guess it wasn't the twins year again i think there was the one year 2019 they set a record for home runs yeah uh, and, and and that obviously but like that kind of came out of nowhere for them um correa's back i found <laughs> the carlos correa saga this offseason to be hilarious because i freaking hate carlos correa and it couldn't have <laughs> happened to a worse guy and i absolutely <laughs> loved that fact i feel like that was karma for all the shit he talked after the astros cheating scandal yeah but he's still a good player like it's still he's still a good player so how do you how do you see the twin season going I'm going to use a Minnesota phrase. The White Sox and Twins are in the same canoe. The Minnesota Twins, you could squint and you can look at this team and the lineup's got potential. They've taken a really interesting strategy, building their starting rotation with a bunch of number twos and number threes, trading for Pablo Lopez and the Cincinnati Red, the the ex-Reds front end of the rotation, Sonny Gray and Tyler Molly. Kenta Maeda is going to be coming back. And Joe Ryan, I think, has been pretty good for the Minnesota Twins. That was a really good return in the Nelson Cruz trade from the Tampa Bay Rays. So you could squint and you can look and you can see a Twins team that can win 88 games. There's no doubt. If they suffer any type of injuries again, and we're talking about Byron Buxton, who I think of the world of Byron Buxton, I think he's a terrific ball player. The dude can't stay healthy. And if he misses half the season again, and if Correa's got to go on the injured list for a few weeks, the Twins, they don't have the depth, and it's the same boat that the White Sox are in as well, that they can't sustain any of these injuries. For the White Sox and Twins, if they're going to have any chance to upset the Guardians and win the division in 2023, Andrew, the phrase, basically stay healthy, is going to be raining every single day during the 2023 season. This could happen if they stay healthy. This player can exceed expectations if they stay healthy. Like, and you, you know how that continue. goes over the course of a baseball season. It's, it's exactly. 162 freaking games. It's so long. Someone right. will be injured. Many people will go on the injured list this year. Yeah, if I had to handicap the division, I would say it's still Guardians is the favorite. I like the White Sox roster more than the Twins roster. And some people will call me a homer, but I just like the White Sox overall lineup better. And I like Cease, Lynn, and Giolito as the front three better than what the Twins could have in the front three. And I think the White Sox bullpen is much stronger than what the Twins will have in the bullpen. But would it surprise me if all three of these teams are 81 wins or better? No, I think they can be. 
it would surprise me if any three of these teams win 92 or more games. Like I, I'm envisioning a tight race throughout the 2023 season between the Guardians, White Sox, and Twins. But right now I am most confident in the Guardians outlasting the White Sox and Twins because as we spoke about, they've got the depth. They got Terry Francona. Those teams do not. So one of the things we've been talking about this offseason is the balanced schedule because the AL East mm-hmm. um, has been a gauntlet. I mean, the Red right. Sox... The Red Sox were not very good last year, but like even the Orioles had a surprising season and every game the Yankees played against Baltimore seemed like like a, a nail fight to, to the end. So how does the balanced schedule you think play into your your take here of everyone's going to be in the 85, 87 win category? Great question for each of those teams to have 12 fewer games against the Royals and Tigers is going to hurt their chances of earning one of the wild card spots. Yeah. I think the most realistic path for these teams to reach the playoffs is going to win the American League Central because I think the balanced schedule is going to limit how many wins these teams earn. It's obvious that the American League East and American League West, top to bottom, are far stronger than the teams in the American League Central. So when you're playing the fourth place Texas Rangers, let's say, in the American League West, well, that team's a lot stronger than the fourth place Kansas City Royals and Detroit Tigers. Like, I think the Royals and Tigers could be in the bottom five of Major League Baseball. And while it's great that you got 13 games against those teams, it used to be 19. So to lose 12 games in against teams that I thought were going to be bottom five in Major League Baseball is going to, I think, hurt overall the win totals for Cleveland, Chicago, and Minnesota. So that's how I think the balanced schedule is going to hurt those three teams and why it's division or bust if they're going to make the postseason. So in 2018, 2019, and then 2021, I'm skipping over 2020 because of the shortened season, the AL East winner was determined by who beat the Orioles the best. And in 18, I think the Red Sox won 17 of their games against Baltimore. They won the division. 19, the Yankees won 18 of their games against Baltimore. <laughs> they won the division. And then Tampa won like 16 or something like 15 or 16 in 2021, and they won the division. That's obviously wasn't the case last year because Baltimore improved so much. Right. But to use that example for the AL Central, it's like if you had a chance to win 16 games against the Royals, that could be the difference between you and the Guardians. And then that, that opportunity is not there anymore. Right. And the Royals, they have won the season series back-to-back years against the White Sox. So that's another thing that the White Sox have to overcome. They have to find a better way to win more games against Kansas City because the Royals have had their number and maybe hiring Pedro Grafal helps with that strategy. But the Royals have a brand new coaching staff. They got a brand new front office that they're working with. So it's not going to be the same type of Royals team that the White Sox have seen. Yeah. Well, I'm very excited for the baseball season. I'm sure you are as well. What rule, what new rule are you most looking forward to this year? Pitch clock. I love it. Pitch clock over the shift. Yeah. The shift, I think the shift could help Yasmani Grandal. And I think the White Sox are in a better position now having two shortstops and Tim Anderson and Elvis Andrews up the middle. But man, when it comes to regular season baseball, let's get it on. Like, let's go. Let's have two hour, 45 minute games, especially for you and I as content creators. We're, we're working every single day during the baseball season. I do not want three hour, 15 minute games every single day. So I'm most looking forward to the pitch clock. It was a huge success in the minor leagues. I think it'll be a huge success in the major leagues. Where do you stand on the extra inning runner rule? I'm fine with it. The White Sox are terrible at it. And I think that's where I argue a lot of people with is like, again, in the regular season, 
I'm fine with it. Let's get it on. Let's not yeah. burn your bullpen, especially if you're playing 12 straight games. In the postseason, I'm totally cool giving away, you know, getting rid of it. No, I'm with you. I It's an argument my co-host Scott and I get in all the time. He hates it. He thinks it's fake baseball. And I'm like, it, it's July against the Kansas City Royals. Like, right. put the runner on second base. Like, of course, October versus the, the Guardians or the White Sox, if we're in an ALDS, no. Yep. But we're talking about July against the Royals, dude. Who cares? So. Right. And that's the whole point of these new rules. Now, I, I am really curious to see on how we, when we reference OPS+, plus or weighted runs created plus when we're analyzing ball players this year with the shift ban, I'm expecting league BABUB numbers to be at an all-time high, Andrew. And when we compare okay. offensive numbers in 2023 and 2022, we're going to have to be careful because in 2022, like a 710 OPS was a 100 OPS plus. That may not be the case in 2023, where it might be a 740 OPS. Right, but uh, the, pl- the, the weighted averages, the OPS plus, the WRC plus, will take that into account because it's all for that year. For it that doesn't year. take it into right all the major league baseball. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, when yeah, we're yeah. comparing numbers, people will be like, "Oh, this guy's struggling. He had a 110 OPS plus in 2022, but he's down to 104 in 2023." Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> Look yeah, at the yeah. OPS. They're probably hitting better. It's just that the league overall is hitting better. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I, I'm I'm looking forward to how, how that all changes everything. Um, I know some Yankees players should benefit from the shift, and some players will still try and just pull the ball and hit the ball over the fence. I don't blame them. That's, that's how it is. <laughs> Josh, thank you so much for joining me. This was a lot of fun. Looking forward to the season. I'm sure we'll catch up later down the road when the White Sox and Yankees play. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.